I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. How could it be real love if it's not equal to all? That's the Mahayana Buddhist question. So equanimity or equal to all, impartiality. It's a very important part of compassion and love. So the four Brahma Viharas, the four divine heartitudes, are a very important part of our Mahayana Vajrayana practice. And Dzogchen, Mahamudra tradition, is firmly based in that. Universal liberation unselfish compassion, generosity, altruism, tradition called Mahayana, the Bodhisattva way, the way of universal awakening, the Bodhisattva, the peaceful warrior, the awakener, the edifier, the Bodhisattva, the enlightened leader, the servant leader, Bodhisattva, the Buddha-to-be, literally, Bodhi-Buddha-Sattva, being. But the main meditation that we're teaching, leading, practicing together, exploring here, Dzogchen, natural meditation as instructed last night and this morning in the main parts of the session. Maybe you remember just sitting, just breathing, and just being present and aware, the three naturals. Natural body, natural breath and energy, natural mind. These are the instructions in case you're new, but just for instructional purposes to box and highlight it. The three pillars of natural meditation are just sitting, Breath and energy, just breathing, no special techniques, no special postures or asanas. And third, just being aware, not visualizing, not chanting, not thinking. Of course, there's thoughts, but aware of thoughts is meditation. Aware of hearing is meditation, not trying not to hear. We'll get into that. So the three pillars of natural meditation... Non-meditation, we call it in Mahamudra and Dzogchen. You won't find this in the Asutra general teachings. Non-meditation, not visualizing, not mantra, not thinking about enlightenment, not trying to analyze and deconstruct 
the self or analyze the impermanent outer and inner world and other things, which are, of course, part of the general Buddhist foundations that we all practice and love and value. Unmeditation, as I call it, undoing the habit of overdoing. The great Buddhist pioneer Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, the Vidyadhara, the Rig Beholder, the Vidyadhara, he used to say, the Gnostic warrior, he used to say, <clears throat> it's spiritual materialism <clears throat> to think about enlightenment and too much striving for enlightenment. We have to let go of the goal. The goalless goal is the way of Mahmudra and Dzogchen. So not just how to get from here to there, which is the general path, progressive developmental path of Buddhism, of the sutras, of general religions, but from here to truly and totally here, where we already are as we are, which is the direct path, enlightenment now, non-dual path of the penthouse of the Vajrayana, Mahamudra and Dzogchen, direct portal, awakening now, our primordial Buddha nature, not Buddha realized after many lifetimes of schlepping to enlightenment. Uh, and why do I have to carry so many books, too, uh, and statues? Uh, I mean, that's me. I don't know what your baggage is. And Tonkas, and I won't go on. <laughs> you need a lot of props to get enlightened these days, it seems. Drums, bells, feathers, whistles. Where are my whistles? <clears throat> So getting from here to truly here, that's the practice we're talking about. Seeing through, being through, relying on being more than doing. Of course, this is a meditation retreat, a monastic training. We're practicing, as we said last night, the noble silence, noble solitude, and all the other, the ten S's of simplicity and mind satiness and everything else, silliness and slowness and Syrianness and you know I'm looking around S's Sarahness and this is very important. If Sarah doesn't practice Sarahness, if she practiced Syrianness, that would be a breach of the Samaya vow. Because authenticity, integrity, and caring is the essence of this path. That is the Shila Samadhi and Prajna of Mahamudra and Dzogchen. Authenticity, integrity, and connect and caring. So that's the three higher trainings, the Shila, Samadhi, and Prajna <clears throat> in the natural meditation tradition, unmeditation, pure presence, not concentrating for a certain period of time. Therefore, we don't stress posture or time and duration or numbers of prayers and mantras done or bows. <clears throat> this was how, what I talked about last night in the beginning, how to do a meditation retreat. Dzogchen is the natural great perfection teaching, not a school of philosophy. It's not one of the four schools of Tibetan Buddhism. It's a higher practice done by some in all the schools. The Dalai Lama is a student and teacher of Dzogchen. He studied with my own root guru, Dingo Kinsi Rinpoche, Matthew Ricard's root guru, the great Dingo Kinsi, Trungpa Rinpoche's root guru, the great Kinsi Rinpoche, who was so kind to us and treated us like his own only son or daughter. I can't tell you. How he is. This is who, this is the lineage that we descend from <clears throat> and carry on and passing forward to the next wave, next generation.
Of course, it's based on the notion that we're all Buddhas by nature. As my root guru, Kala Rinpoche, the Dalai Lama's yoga teacher, Kala Rinpoche, always used to say, not Buddhists, God forbid, we're all Buddhas by nature. It's only temporary obscurations which veil that fact. I'm quoting from the Hevadra Tantra, the laughing diamond Tantra. The Hevadra Tantra is not something I made up one day in a hot tub at Esalen, my friends here, where we met. And with my initials, you could imagine. <laughs> this is from the Hevadra Tantra, the laughing Vajra Tantra. I'm going to repeat it because we don't hear it enough from the pulpits today. Fire and brimstone and other stuff we hear a lot and how many lifetimes it's going to take to get there. Or how we should have more faith. It's hard to fabricate. But when we find out for ourselves, when we realize it, we get total conviction. That's different than mere blind faith. We're all Buddhas by nature. We only have to recognize that fact, awaken to who and what we truly are. That's what it means in the Tantra. We're all Buddhas by nature, not Buddhists. Divine, perfect, whole as we are. Whatever tweaking or whatever little, you know, dust we may have. <clears throat> We're all Buddhas by nature. It's only momentary obscurations which veil that fact. So that's why our practice is, is called seeing through or being through. Literally, cutting through, cutting through the illusion of separateness or duality. Seeing through the duality of self and other of good and bad, of body and mind, or, or, or form and spirit, and so on. And we practice this through this natural meditation. We'll get to that in the form of sky gazing, openness and awareness, inseparable sky gazing, not just closing our eyes, crossing our fingers, and hoping to get it, crossing our legs and hoping to get enlightened one day, looking for the Buddha, looking for enlightenment or insight or something like it's a needle in a haystack. No, it's every needle of the hay and the earth that it's sitting on, too. God is everywhere or nowhere. She's here or nowhere. Where else could it be? If you want to just use the word as a placeholder for the ultimate. So this Buddha nature we're talking about is not a person. It's not a man. It's not an Indian. It's not a, you know, a religion exactly. It's an outlook. It's a Gnostic experience. It's a direct perception or view, not views and opinions, but an outlook, a perspective, a big picture. Buddhists hesitate, we hesitate to use the word reality or truth, but something like that, what we mean in English, so hard to define. <clears throat> not false, not deceptive. As my five-year-old uh, son, Krishna Bush's uh, five-year-old son, <clears throat> Julian, once said, when he went to, and he saw the Buddhist statues in the Tibetan Museum in Staten Island, the Jacques Marche House Museum in Staten Island, worth visiting. He was five years old. He came out and he said, and his father, and they were on the ferry coming back from Staten Island to Manhattan. Maybe you're familiar with this, these islands, the local geography. I know some of you are from other places. The little boy said to his father, Dad, this is his father up here, boy. Daddy, Buddha's not pretending. <laughs> like, where did he get that from? From the mouth of babes, as it says in a good book. Buddha's not pretending. Exactly. What better comment could you have after looking at a few hundred Buddhas all afternoon? A boy. Not a Buddhist boy, being particularly. Not pretending. That's our way. So authenticity, integrity, and caring 
compassion, caring, caring to attend, to pay attention, to be aware, and so on. It's so important to strip away all the complications and all the isms and schisms and descriptions. So we practice this view, meditation, and action based on the three higher trainings, what we call Buddha called the three trainings in Buddhism. Christopher, on the board, please. Building on Sheila, morality, ethics, self-discipline, compassion. Building on Sheila, morality, ethics, self-discipline, compassion, kindness, caring, Sheila. Getting straight with ourselves, honest. If we're true seekers, we've got to be honest at least. And not just not lying, but not self-deceiving also and so on. Not pretending. Not being authentic. Building on Sheila comes Sheila Samadhi. Focus, meditation, awareness, cultivation, mindfulness, attention, practices, samadhi. And building on that comes prajna, selfless love, wisdom. Wisdom, which is love. These are the three trainings of Buddhism. If you break this out, you get the Eightfold Path. This is the outline of my book, Awakening the Buddha Within, Eight Steps to Enlightenment, Tibetan Wisdom for the Western World. If you're not familiar, if you're new here, Eightfold Path, the Buddhist 101. From the ground up, the gradual path, as if climbing the spiritual mountain, as people say. Dzogchen and Mahamudra, getting from here to here, not from here to there gradually. Are you with me? It's called swooping down from above. One step enlightenment, not ten bhumis or stages of bodhisattvahood leading to Buddhahood after many lifetimes of assiduous practice. And the ethics of the bodhisattva, generosity, patience, energy, mindfulness, prayer, aspiration, and all that. Skillful means direct access. From the view of seeing things as they are comes the unmeditation of leaving it as it is. Are you with me? You can't read this in books. I don't know why. This is the Buddhism 101.2.0. Booster. Quantum leap, not incremental improvement. Swooping from above with the view of as it is. The bigger picture. Who doesn't see it as it is? I mean, even if you're blind, you can still perceive things as they are, I hear. This is not about seeing with the eyeballs or optic nerve. And it comes the non-meditation, the unmeditation, freedom, practice of freedom, leaving it as it is, seeing through, being through, just being, not doing and striving to accomplish according to ego. And from that comes the action, the conduct of the bodhisattvas, view, meditation, and action of the natural great perfection, the luminous great perfection, the radiant, the, what's it called? The swift and comfy great perfection, as Nyosho Kempo, my personal Zogchen master, calls it. Newer day Zogpachempo, swift, comfy, direct, natural great perfection, imaho. Not austerities, not starving yourself to death, not throwing away your body and your health, your house, your children, your society, your globe, and your responsibilities. The king of Zahur was instructed by Padmasambhava when he wanted to renounce his kingdom and go on the path of enlightenment. Padmasambhava said, just look into the nature of the diamond on your ring finger. And the king, and the king realized enlightenment through the sparkling clear light of that glinting diamond. 
that was his direct introduction to the nature of Buddha mind. So renunciation means letting go of selfishness and separation and letting go of holding back as the great Trungpa Rinpoche called it. You can't find translations like this every day. So from the view of seeing things they are, the glimpse as we call it, or direct introduction if you read books. Introduction is a very partial translation. It means recognition, direct recognizing your true nature. Like if you, if you meet your parents in the middle of Yankee Stadium, nobody needs to introduce you in general, assuming that you've grown up with them. That's direct recognition. Ah, dead. Long time no see. Not really? <laughs> of course, there may be special cases where you don't know your parents. Let's not go down that sidetrack. So direct recognition. And then from that naturally evolves the meditation of non-meditation, not just closing our eyes and crossing our legs and trying to look inward for anything or look outward for anything. But getting used to leaving it as it is, oh, there's a possibility things could be fine as they are for now, even if we feel moved to work for a better planet and a better personhood and a better society. Of course, we can accept that too, that natural, good-hearted inspiration. So this great equanimity or spiritual detachment or one taste, as we call it, is not to be confused with complacence or indifference. It's very caring and very spontaneous, childlike, even innocent. So this is the view, meditation, and action, non-action really, of the great perfection, natural responsiveness, not just reactive, codependent, trying to be, trying to help without the wisdom of knowing how to help and what's going, really going on. Sometimes do-gooders just stir up more dust, as we all know, when missionaries trying to shove the truth down people's throats. Hopefully that's not us. Buddha is not about proselytizing and missionarizing. Buddha said, only go where invited, only teach when asked. That's a great ethic that we follow. So view meditation and action. This is the result of the natural great perfection, like three in one oil, three in one, not separate. With this view, every action is an opportunity to see through the illusion of separateness or insufficiency and see the light in everyone and everything, as I mentioned last night. The great practice of pure perception, sacred outlook, sacramental vision, dakhnang, seeing thing, the light, the Buddha, in everyone and everything that this world is like an altar and all beings are like the deities or gods and goddesses on it. Although there's certainly plenty of shit and litter to clean up, especially our globe and environment today and, and ourselves. So when the pioneering Zen master at America, one of them, let's say, Suzuki Roshi of San Francisco Zen Center in the 70s, he was talking about how see everyone as Buddha and we're all Buddhas and sitting Zazen is, is sitting Buddha, walking Zazen, meditation if you would sit, is walking Z Buddha. Somebody said, Master Roshi, the Roshi spoke English, let's say. Master Roshi, 
if we're all Buddhas, why do we have to meditate? And why do I feel so bad most of the time? And Roshi said, I'm not going to try to imitate his accent or his English, please. Thank you. Roshi said, the old Japanese master, the authentic Zen master said, yes, all Buddhas, but could use a little tweaking. <laughs> a little tweaking. That's our action, our work. Not taking ourselves too seriously, saving the world, liberating all beings, solving world hunger. Yes, of course we should think like that, along with every teenage Miss America who thinks like that. And do what we can. Think globally and act locally, beginning with ourselves and each other here. Tend to our garden. <clears throat> Buddha said when I was awakened, all were awakened, even the trees and the mountains. The Talmud says to save one soul is to save the whole world. So that's kind of the power of one also. Some Buddhism is all about wisdom and compassion. The wisdom to see things as they are and knowing how to do things and the compassion is to actually do them and not just to stir up more dust by trying to do good out of an egotistical reactivity. So this is action is called proactive responding as needed, not reactive, because we need compulsively to be doing good and feeling good about ourselves. That's a very important point. So I've gone over the background or the context of Dzogchen and the view meditation in action, which is the way that Mahamudra and Dzogchen, the non-dual direct access paths of Tibetan Buddhism, so-called higher teachings, consummate teaching, penthouse of the Vajrayana teaching, Notice I'm avoiding the word best or only, please. Thank you. <clears throat> this very high teaching is explained always according to view, meditation, and action. The sutra tradition according to ethics, meditation, and wisdom. The tantra tradition non-dual according to view, meditation, and action. So we don't stress so much what position or what it looks like. What's the view that's informing the posture? You could just be sitting there dozing. That's hardly the meditation we're talking about. And if just sitting is Zen, what about just standing? How is that not Zen? Or just lying down? Or just walking? Or just squatting? Or just whatever we do today? I don't know. We used to, thumbing. We used to call thumbing this. Just thumbing. Why not? But what's the intention? What's the awareness? And so forth. The view. So this is the view, meditation, and action the proactive, responsive Buddha activity, the ten paramitas, the ten transformative virtues of the bodhisattva, the action of non-action, not compulsive needing to do anything. Like the ocean, if there's waves, there's wind. No waves, no wind. If there's needs, if there's beings, if there's requests, if there's opportunity to help, helping. Otherwise, just like the ocean, never leaves its bed with waves or without, unchanged. If I was going to go a little further into this, and I see, I want to get to the question answer. I think it's important to find a way of our own practice that was so authentic to us. Not everybody, you know, the best shoes, the best shirts, the best whatever is not necessarily Italian or French or I don't know what. If it doesn't fit, those narrow shoes don't fit me, so useless, wherever best they may be. So we have to find a very authentic practice for ourselves, authenticity, integrity, and caring, 
caring enough about ourselves, about the world, about this moment, about time. You know, killing time is just deadening ourselves. Everybody today says, we don't have enough time. Where did all the time go? But where did it go? What are we doing to ourselves? I wrote a whole book about this, Buddhist Standard Time, if you're interested. Life is long enough for those who know how to live. And in Dzogchen, we talk about the fourth time, the holy now, past, present, and future, and now. The Christian mystics called it divine time, not changeless mortal time. The holy now, the fourth, shicha in Tibetan. The ascendant, deepest, the nowness, it's always now, dimension. Jack Kerouac called it the golden eternity in his supercharged poetic satori writing. Our tradition is not so much about philosophy. It's about pith instructions, personal instructions. So that's what I'm focusing on this week. The view, meditation, action, and enhancement. We'll get to that at the end. Integrating with daily life, pith instructions of the natural great perfection as I received it mouth to ear from my own teachers who were the great grand lamas of the uh, generation that came out of Tibet in 1959. The Dalai Lama's teachers and others, the 16th Karmapa, the great Tuku Urgen, whose sons teach here, Sokhnima Pache, Chikinima, and Aminjur Tuku, his sons, our friends and teachers. I think it's very important for us to understand that the mind and thoughts is not enough, and we're trying to do something a little different here. Of course, study and practice, theory and practice, go together, experiential and intellectual learning, so we can learn and know what we're doing, not just sit down and try not to think and call it meditating. This is not about thought blocking, as I mentioned. Mindfulness of thoughts is meditation not just being lost in thoughts. Mindfulness of sounds and hearing is meditation, not just listening to music. Of course, we could come meditate with music. Every note. This note, only note, to go back to my original instructions. So every part of life is an opportunity for being with it, co-meditating, intermeditating, being with it rather than out of it, rather than against it. I've got to get away from it. Well, then I can be happy. Then I can be peaceful. Then I can meditate. Well, good luck. I've been in samadhi tanks, sensory deprivation tanks. I've been on top of Himalayas. I've been in caves underground and for a long time. Somehow the same can of worms was in there. I must have brought it with me in my backpack, in my psyche, in my karma and kalasha, in English, in nurture and nature, in myself. Also, you hear in the sensory deprivation tank sounds, you know, the blood beating and feel it, and you're here and in other places and other things and breathing. So you can't get away from it. Believe me, I've tried. Maybe you have too. But breathing out and releasing and seeing through the illusion of separateness of that kind and going with it, being with it rather than against it, rather than against it, being with it rather than out of it, trying to be out of it, dissociating, distracting ourselves. That's the secret. I call it co-meditation, as you know from my book, Make Me One With Everything. These are workbooks full of practices. If you're interested, check them out. So 
I'd like to open the floor to questions. Please ask your questions. Don't save them toward the end of the week. It gets kind of bogged down with your private interview time. And it's good to share and everybody to explore this together. Otherwise, I could talk all day. It's not the point. Yes, sir. Hi. Hi, Lama Surya. Um, how would you describe your own closeness with the Buddha within? Not close, not far. More description. My guru, Buddha, guru, Sangha, the invisible array of the lineage, my parents, my brethren, my brother is Nin and sister in, and you are always with me. That's how close. Closer than my breath, to quote a Christian mystic. Because not separate. Always with me. Sometimes overlooked, sometimes forgotten. But I remember what I was saying before, not about belief, but moving to real conviction, realization, Gnostic, direct, intuitive experience, knowing with a capital K, Gnosis. I hope that's helpful. Thank you. Is that the kind of what you're thinking about? Uh, I mean, the real question is how close are you to the Buddha within or whatever placeholder name you have for the, you know, the big thing, Yeah, I, the big I, guy, the divine, whatever, the truth. Yeah, I, I asked that question because I write a daily blog, which, by the way, I renamed after, um, I used to call it melsmouth.com, and after I listened to one of your um, interviews, I renamed it Melting Pot Dharma, which is a term that you used in that interview. We should give him a gong for that, don't you think? <laughs> From mealy mouth to, to melting pot, I like it. Mel's mouth. I heard Mel, what you yeah, said. Okay. Thank oh, you. Oh, Mealy Mouth. Oh, okay. I wasn't gotcha. talking about you. Just, right. just reaching for the humor here. Right, right, Since right. Now right, we're right. in the realm of the blog. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, yeah. I have a blog too. I hate to admit it. Astalama.com. Well, I'm sorry. I... <laughs> and, and in fact, you, you subscribe to my blog. I do? Yes, you do. Well, I love it, I guess. Yeah. Or at least I like it. Somebody, I somebody, it. <laughs> somebody, somebody did using your name. <laughs> And I won't tell you about the other, never mind that. Do you have a uh, question? How can it, I serve you, Mel? Uh, no, I, you, I'm uh, responding to your question, and that is that the, 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 in writing that blog, I asked myself, hey, if I'm writing this stuff, what about me? How close am I? And I decided... That's a good question. I decided a good part of the time I'm, I'm, I'm there, and, you know, and it's just, we can all be there, and I... The same, so that's what we're talking about. The same things you listed. Good. Uh, I might have other terms for, but... Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm there a lot of the time. Thank you. Remember that uh, we're all thinking about being there, getting there, and us the, but here is right in that word there. So I call it being there while getting there every step of the way. This is one of my own pith instructions. Being there while getting there, being fully here while getting there, not waiting to get there, not waiting for many lifetimes, not looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, like, you know, there's no pot of gold. It's all rainbow. If you look at it from above, circle, rainbow, every step of the way is the great way. Being there while getting there, that's our kind of practice. So not just sitting, not just religion, you know, sacred religion, something, separating sacred from the mundane, integrative, Tantric means we weave, weft, warp and woofed, whatever those words are. Inseparable.
This is tantric Buddhism, non-duality. So I'm glad that you have those intuitions and glimpses too. Those glimpses, I, you know, before, I mean, you're, I'm, before your glimpses, I am silent with adoration, as the poem says. And this is what we're talking about, the view, the glimpse, the knowing, not believing, the, your own highest intuition. And then the getting used to it or checking it out, seeing, like, where is it now? Now I'm arguing with my I-don't-know-what person, partner, mate. Where is it now? I seem to be forgetting. I can't wait to get out of here. Oops. It, you know. Oops. Little, could use a little tweaking. Now or later. Oops. Not taking it so seriously at least. Oops. Seeing through. Seeing the dream. But being awake in the dream and going, oops. Just a dream. If you want to use that metaphor. Seeing the Halloween costumes and saying, wow, great costume. But also noticing it's your neighbor in it. Not being scared like the little baby is scared of the witch who comes down the road and wants to hug her because it's the next-door neighbor lady. Not a witch at all. That's what seeing through means. That's what emptiness means. Seeing the reality, seeing the, the illusion, you know, the illusory play of Maya, the, the dream, the well, God pseudopods, never, not separate from God. To talk English and Latin, we can all understand, I hope. Yes, who do we have? Judy, hop it around, please. Did everybody go to Judy Ricci's Tibetan Energy Yoga class workshop practice this morning in the auditorium downstairs? Good. Here, that's what I mean. I'm upstairs, so here. Yes, question. Good morning, Lama. Where's the mic? Yes, sir. I share my love and gratitude for you and your teachings. Thank you, friend. Um, I seem to be stumbling uh, for quite some time with uh, non-dual wisdom. Did you say stumbling or struggling? It just blurted out. There's no right answer. I think stumbling. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm ready for it, and I have no clue how to do it. So right. I don't know if I'm struggling. Me either. I'm just open to right. it. You can't I, do it. I'm, I'm clueless. You can't do it, but you can be it at home and at one with your own life. Quoting Lao Tzu, the Tao Te Ching, much recommended reading. You can't do it, but you could be it. Some translations say you can't know it, but you can't be it. can't know about it, but you can be it at one and at home with your own life. Because, as Mel, Melting Karma Mel said... Uh, I forget what he said, but um, <laughs> sometimes you're just there, you know. You're just there. He said, he said it, and it's good enough. As the Christian mystics sang, all is well and all shall be well in this, the best of all possible worlds. So that's not rational. The world is a mess. Society needs changing. The systems need help. I'm not even going to which ones, education, prison, you know, health, everything, political, not to mention the bigger world of refugees and terrorism and the environment and global death. I'm not going to go into that. You didn't come here for that. That's not my expertise. But is there no other side? Do we never have a moment of peace? Or are we going to be like the burnt-out activists that are never satisfied because there's always more to do and it ain't getting done enough? What's the enough? 
What's the relationship between need, actual need, and greed? What's the enough point? So the master does her best and lets go, and whatever happens, happens. Acts without expectation and keeps doing your duty, your best, is what it says in the scriptures, and lets go, and whatever happens, happens. You do your best by your kids, and you know that, you know, you can't control them, and, you know, whatever happens, happens, and you keep doing your best, and you do your best, and you try even harder, and, but... They were like flowers in God's garden that can grow in their own way and the conditions affect them too and you can't control the universe even though we'd like to. Control freakism, the most popular religion in the world. But is it working? So don't spin your wheels intellectually about non-dual wisdom. Concepts and thinking are the realm of duality. The bifurcating intellect needs to make two and then choose, you know, this way or that, good or bad, friend or foe, flight or flight. You with me? That's how thoughts work generally. Analytical, computer science, call it binary, you know. Breaking, well, decision-making down to binary, proliferating infinitely, but binary. But that's just the world of thought. Like, let's call it the left side, whatever, left side of the brain to be finger-painting. But the right side of the brain, the intuitive gestalt, catches it all at once. That's more the realm of prajna, of gnosis, of non-dual awareness, if you insist, of rikpa, of presence. Like, how do you know you're in love? By making a checklist? I mean, when we're young, maybe we try that. I don't know. We'll try any kinds of crazy things. But eventually, I don't even want to say it's a feeling. You, you mature enough to know whether you're in love or in lust. Maybe you ask elders or friends or your sister or brother or your experiment but it's something you have to know for yourself like on a bicycle finding your balance you get a lot of instruction and help but trial and error until you find your balance balance is not a thing but you got to find it yourself that's what we're talking about so with this practice it's we're not relying on intellect analysis and thinking aware of thoughts aware of sounds sight, smells, touch, all the six senses. Mind is the sixth. Thoughts are the objects of that sense. Awareness is the active ingredient, the higher power, the deeper power, the Buddha in this tradition. By that I mean Buddhism, not Dzogchen. Okay? So prajna is like a lightning bolt that illumines the darkness of aeons. It's not like incremental learning where you get more learned and knowledge-based. And knowledge, you know, in the over-information age we lived in is very rational and informational. But there, is there nothing else? I ask you. The realm of the heart, the realm of not knowing, but being or feeling or doing, you know, learning by doing, and so on. That's more the non-dual. Thoughts separate so they can organize and choose. We're trying to undo that habit just to experience a little bit of the other possibility. Yes, I can have a moment of peace, nirvanic peace and things just as they are, and then get back to my very dedicated and committed social action, parenting, good citizenship, altruism, compassion and action life. I hope so. Look at the Dalai Lama at 80. How busy is he? He ain't just sitting around resting in the view, nothing more to do, imahu. He only does that in the morning from 3.30 to 6.30 or 7 a.m. The rest of the day, he, you know what he does in 50 or 60 countries every year. 
So I hope that's helpful. Yes, that's helpful. Thank you. That's why I'm emphasizing this practice, uh, the breathing out and the releasing, not analyzing, not studying, not studying form and emptiness or deconstructing uh, solidity or other contemplations of death, impermanence, mortality, selflessness, not in this week retreat about Dzogchen, the view of meditation and, and natural you know, action of the great perfection. I think I've been... Um confusing or or perceiving it as the co that you write in all the co-meditation and co-everything you know in in your especially in your most recent book and um i keep believing that or imagining or thinking or that you know when i'm in all my dealings every day that that i can become more at one with people or more merged with them and not have all my own agenda. And, uh, and I'm clueless to know how to do that. So I guess... Just... Well, you can. That's not a bad way of thinking. <laughs> That's better than some other, you know, MOs. Like if, they would only, if I could only get rid of them, I'd be better off or other, way, you know, dominate them and control them, then I'd be safe or something different mentalities but karmas conditionings but um just trying to tune into what you went behind the words um well first of all if you're reading in my book first you said about the thinking and imagining so you know there's a song about that but i feel exactly how it goes you know thinking and imagining and hoping and worrying and wondering and you know, there are other fancy words, whatever they are, you know, perseverating and hesitating and doubting. There's no way into your arms. Da, da, da. But where's the separation, you know? It's inside and outside. We're kind of replicating this with the breath. We're not sky worshippers, we're not breath worshippers, but trying to see through the illusory bubble of separateness to the sea that we're already in and part of the small self is in the sea of bigness, big self, to talk Vedanta, theism, non-dual. Human nature is Buddha nature, as the Zen master says. When you become you, then only Buddha is Buddha. Until then, Buddha is like a pie in the sky. Trying to become Buddha is inauthentic, putting a boot on your, you know, you think you've got to get a, like, oriental head and put it on your head, or oriental clothes, or oriental furniture. Sure, feel free. But that ain't Buddha's enlightenment. That's redecorating. So if you could come back to, like, and in the book, there are some exercises. You mentioned the book, and, and we're doing a little of that here also. Seeing through and being through and staying with the breath or present awareness, you know, whatever anchors you. Not trying to become one with everyone. How about seeing through the illusion of separateness? Then what? Then you're already like Mel, as he, into, he said, sometimes just he is there. So don't, don't get discouraged about not knowing. Zen teachers have made a whole path out of this called no mind. And the famous saying, 
of Sung Sang and Sinim, the Korean Zen master who spoke broken English, so this is not translated. This is his direct statement. Just don't know. Go straight 10,000 years. So let me put it in American Sign Language from Long Island. Are you watching? <laughs> Swish! Not to exaggerate and say you got to become a Dumbo, a simpleton, or anti-intellectual, but you see what I'm saying? The mind, the thoughts, is a poor master, but a good servant. We're too much under its power. That's the issue. So not knowing is a great approach. Not trying to figure it out. And this practice is sort of based on that. Rikpa, innate presence or wakefulness, rather than cultivating and, and fabricating, building up certain spe special states of mind like concentration or light or other things. So could non-dual wisdom be like know nothing knowing from Lao Tzu? It could be. Yes, it could be. Thank you. What did you say Lao Tzu called it? Know nothing wisdom? Know nothing knowing? Yeah. Like do nothing right. doing? Yes. Exactly. But we still have to live into that and check it out and see if it's really the ultimate or if it's just one more concept. Like trying to do nothing is still one ego strategy to get out of trouble. Maybe we're not really in trouble. What's the trouble? What's the trouble right now, I ask you? Everything is being taken care of here. Why am I not? This I ask me. Why am I not content? There's people shopping and cleaning and, you know, doing, preparing and everything. Trucks are delivering stuff we need. We don't have to do anything. It's Sunday. It's the day of Buddhist rest, day of retreat. <sighs> but it's still not enough. There's still some existential angst eating at my innards. What the hell? Is it real or is it just habit? When is enough going to ever be enough? If we're not here now, we won't be there then, and I guarantee it. That's the problem with this, with karmic conditioning, digging the rut deeper till it's like a Grand Canyon. But we can recondition and decondition. That's what we're trying to do here. That's why it's called the practice of freedom. Sometimes Joe Goldstein, the great mindfulness insight meditation pioneer in the West, Joey G. Joe Goldstein says, uh, calls it the practice of freedom. Choiceless awareness is the practice of freedom. Not enlightenment later. In Dzogchen, we call it the inherent freedom of being. Like the ocean is free to wave or iceberg or mist or roll or swirl, or, but it never leaves its bed. That's the practice of freedom. If there's waves, if there's wind, there's waves. If it's cold, there's icebergs. If not, you know, if there's other heat, there's mist, there's clouds. The ocean never leaves its bed. That's our practice, staying, as I said last night. Just staying. Staying here in the retreat, but staying in our practice and staying true to ourselves, our true authenticity and naturalness. Just walking, just chewing, you know, just nature walks, just yoga-ing. That's the non-doing, doing that Lao Tzu talked about, I believe. Not trying to do nothing. That's just one more nihilist kind of quietistic karmic activity. The great peace and quiet of nirvana is quite different and huger and deeper than mere quiet on the decibel level. Inner peace 
or inner stillnesses at any speed, any decibel level. Questions? Our time's almost up. Anybody? Particularly about the practice we've been doing? Anybody? Any new people? Any new people? <laughs> I see him. He, he's my neighbor. Any new people? Gee, I'm sorry. Okay, Barry. Good morning. Oops. The, pra the, the, the time is up. Saved by the gong. Thank you. <laughs> he's literally my lab neighbor, my labor in, in Lexington, Mass. Good morning, Lama Syria. Good morning. I have a practice question for you. Uh, last night you talked about the second group of ten, and there's something you said in, pa uh, in passing that really interested me. By the way, I want to remind everybody, these will be printed out, typed on the bulletin board, which is downstairs outside the auditorium, in the auditorium, our bulletin board. Yes. But you had a passing the second, the inner S's of retreat practice. I'm trying to bring up my question now. This isn't fair. Hold on. So you talked about um, positive energy. Thank you. And, I did? Uh, Go on. I think so. Yeah, the new ones. Up, sattvas. Uplifting energy. Okay, yes. And you mentioned something about how it made your meditation lighter, easier, and less and more effortless. And I was hoping you could talk more about that, please. Yes, I was saying how after practicing a while and trying to make a habit of meditating every day and every morning and going to retreats to charge up and learn more and practice more intensely and recharge the battery and then bring it back to life and practice every day in life, at work, at home, and all relationship and, you know, in business, such as it is. Eventually, you, you struggle to carry the practice, but eventually it carries you. Excuse me, like drafting. I was giving the example of drafting, being pulled along by the rider in front, the guy with the monk with the yellow shirt, and you bicycling behind. Drafting. Or being pulled along by a great ocean going vessel. Let's say the lineage, the masters, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, the Sangha, even, you know, and you getting pulled along in its wake. Not that you have to keep. It's like, not, in the beginning, it feels like swimming upstream to make a new habit, because you are. You're swimming against your, the current of your old habits, what you usually do when you first get up. This is not judgmental. I'm just saying I wanted to meditate every morning, not watch TV, not listen to the news, not do other things that one might have done in young days. So, making new habits. So eventually, I felt like I caught the updraft and didn't have to keep flapping to lift off, but the warm updrafts helped me just soar, you know? That's the subtle uplifting energy of bodhicitta, of like inner spirit, having dropped away some of my baggage and less stuff and less expectations and less scheduled, busy in the morning and clearing some space, then spiritual energy. There was room for it. So... That took a while. So basically, it's just the practice. Uh, Keep going. Continuity just... is the secret of success, as I mentioned, quoting Gawankaji, our teacher in India in those days. And keep going. And of course, checking, asking, clarifying, studying, reading, or asking teachers, you know, friends, what other people have experienced. But not over-evaluating constantly, either. Keep going and practicing and 
not just wondering if you're on the right path, but eventually you start to, like I said last night, I believe, I looked down and my, and my feet were the path. There was no way to deviate, fall off that kind of path. And maybe it's even growing up inside me. A different metaphor. So we have a prayer, and it's in the prayer book on page, I don't know what, the four dharmas again. Thank you. Why don't we end with that? And Barry, you can use this prayer and everybody, and the whole teaching is in here. The great master, Tukorjan Rinpoche. Used to be used as the basis of all of his teachings, the most advanced Dzogchen teachings, to the most advanced people, the four dharmas of Gampopa. First, may our minds and hearts turn towards the dharma. So we're trying, you know, we're like course correction, out of the bars, and battlefields of life, and competitive horse race of getting ahead and becoming someone and selfing, toward the dharma. And finding out what that means it is. And then, may our Dharma practice become the path. We're trying to get on the path. And then, when we're on the path, we try to be real sojourners, genuine pathers, seekers and finders, practitioners, sadaks. Not just that we're there, sitting in the pew dozing, or sitting on our cushion waiting for the bell to ring, thinking about other things. So, our, path become, our practice becomes the path, and then bless us that the path truly dispels confusion, opens the heart, awakens the mind. Not that we just become a good member of the Buddhist church, having left some other church, and find ourselves in doing the same thing, you know, in a new relationship, but same can of worms. No. And fourth, and this is the hardest one, bless us that illusion, confusion, delusion, the one's as gnosis, as primordial wisdom. That's a tough one. That's the non-dual one. This actually replicates the four yanas, Hinayana, Mahayana, Vajrayana, for you Buddhist students. And the fourth one is the non-dual yana of Mahamudra and Dzogchen. So I often translate this, may confusion and illusion dawn in the light of wisdom awareness. That's more understandable, but that's not what it says. It means may everything be recognized as God's pseudopods from the point of view of, you fill in the blank, Chucky. She doesn't want to say, she's Jewish. You can put a hyphen in the word. From the divine view, it's all just expressions, pseudopods, false appendages, like the ocean's waves, not separate from the ocean. Big waves, small waves, it's just surface phenomena. The biggest iceberg, it'll sink the Titanic, your Titanic ego, but it's still tiny compared to the oceanic nature of the wholeness. So one state, temporary different natures. So here it says, bless us that illusion, confusion, ignorance, the ones as wisdom. So even if we're lost in the forest, we're not confused. We know we're lost. That's the first part of being found, you see? That's a good example. Even if we're lost, to know you're lost is different than being lost, dazed, and confused. Barry. Oh, I don't want to mention any names. Chicky. <laughs> Thank you all. Have a wonderful day in practice here and in the joy of Dharma together in Sangha. Buddha's always here in America. The Dharma is well here in many forms, but... Sangha, I think we really need to recognize and work on and enrich.
and fructify, make fruitful. Thank you.